The topics and opinions expressed in the following show are solely those of the hosts and their guests and not those of W4CY Radio, its employees, or affiliates. We make no recommendations or endorsements for radio show programs, services, or products mentioned on air or on our web. No liability, explicit or implied, shall be extended to W4CY Radio or its employees or affiliates. Any questions or comments should be directed to those show hosts. Thank you for choosing W4CY Radio. Welcome back, everyone, to the Geeks, Geezers, and Googleization Show, the home of Googleization Nation, where we talk with HR and business thought leaders about the crazy shift going on in the world of business, technology, and HR. Here's your host, Ira Wolf, and co-host, Keith Campagna. Hey, welcome back, everyone, to Geeks, Geezers, and Googleization. Uh, We're starting to reopen, so we hope everybody is uh, following by the rules and playing it safe. I hope everybody still uh, is healthy, uh, your teams, your families, uh, and the workers that are now coming back. So I hope things continue to go well. Uh, But I got a question. I don't know. I assume everyone here has done this, so this is sort of a rhetorical question, uh, that you've saved up. Uh, for a really long time uh, for something that you wanted. And that could have been a car, a boat, a new home, uh, maybe more practical, a computer, a tablet, uh, maybe a piece of jewelry, something. And then you finally get that at day and you decide to order it. And you place the order and then you wait a little bit more. And then the Amazon or UPS or FedEx truck pulls up and you open the box and you find that it's broken. Well, that sort of happened to all of us lately. Uh, I've been researching and studying and writing about the future, uh, and especially the future of work, for over 20 years. And the future arrived pretty abruptly uh, about three months ago. And guess what? It's broken. So that's what we're going to be talking about today on Geek Skeezers and Googleization. We have got the world's first industrial philosopher, uh, Christina Di Giacomo, and we're going to be talking about, I guess, that future work arrived and it feels broken, and she has some really specific ideas and approaches. I don't know if we say specific, but really kind of novel approaches to how we can create a better future now, because if we don't do it now and if we just wait to see what happens, we're in big doo-doo. So she'll be with us shortly. Keith, what do you got going on? Yeah, dude. First and foremost, I love it when I hear you say, don't let the shift hit your plan. It's, it still cracks me up a year and a half later. I'm pumped about having my good friend Christina on the show. Uh, she's got so much energy. She's got so much going on. I think she's one of the game changers out there, Ira. Um you know, it's interesting, like one of my core fundamental rules of life is to have a plan, change a plan. And here we are. Everyone now is kind of settling back to what we want to consider the normal, which is kind of funny how the word normal became this overused word. Right. Because every no one seems to know what it actually means. Um but I think that, you know, I was I was listening to uh, one of our previous guests, Jason Averbook on one of his webcasts this morning and it really it blows my mind like he's curious to find out what other companies are doing as it relates to bringing people back so that they could get back to business as usual and i kind of feel like that's a head in the sand kind of thing 
Um, I don't know if business is going back to business as usual. I think that there, I kind of feel like, Ira, if a company doesn't address working from home, employee engagement, employee something or other, I don't know the answer. I think that they're going to lose employees because in spite of the market being as unstable as it is, uh, or maybe not unstable, but kind of recovering, um, I think people are going to still make choices where they're going to work. So I think that we're going to watch. Now is the time for human resources to shine, business leaders and business executives to do their job and lead. And so we will see, I guess, how things turn out. I'm really curious to find out what our wonderful guest is going to think about all, what she thinks about all that, too. Yeah, absolutely. And and having a philosopher <laughs> approach to this, you know, I, I know at one time I, I, you know, certainly and I went to college a long, long time ago. But if you were a philosophy major, the question is, what are you going to do when you grow up? And then, you know, I, I actually, you know, when I went to dental school, for those who didn't know, my, my first my first career, um, there was a um, a good friend of mine. He was he he had his degree. In, he had his um, uh, degree in, in philosophy. And it was interesting because what was he doing in, you know, in a medical profession? What was he doing in, in, in dentistry? And, you, you know, the school selected him because they were looking for a broader approach than people who were just biology and chemistry majors. Um, but now it's really, I mean, it, you know, we're, again, especially with the way you approach, you know, your approach and the way we need to approach, you know, with um, life work integration. Um, you know, beyond balance, um, having a more holistic approach to, to life that that for years, I mean, my generation and the generation before that grew up, you know, we 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 lived to work. That was that was, you know, that was our gift to mankind. We lived to work. And uh, that's that model is not going to work anymore. Uh, so I agree with you. I mean, there is so much going on. Um, you, you, you even started by saying that we're settling back to normal or, or that's what people think. And one is, I don't think we can settle. Number one, if you look at just the social issues going on, I don't think anybody's going to settle for going back to normal, um, or settle for anything anymore. Uh, and, uh, it's going to be a whole new way of living and working. Yeah. So as I was saying is that I don't think we can settle anymore, uh, for anything, uh, I think we, you know, we've got a long way to, to go. Um, you know, you, the, at best, I think it's going to be business as unusual for, for a while till we all work it out. And it's pretty fragile. I mean, all we need is another wave or, um, you know, frankly, we're going the hurricane season. Uh, you know, we're going to have flu season. We have the political rate. I mean, there's so many things that can disrupt um, our path of what normal is. And for anybody, you know, anybody thinks that we're going to go back or settle, uh, not, you know, it, it's pretty scary. So uh, with that, uh, we're going to bring on Christina uh, Giacomo, who is the world's first industrial philosopher. So tell us a little bit about that, Christina. Hi, guys. So nice to be here. And yeah. I am absolutely happy to tell you about what industrial philosophy is all about. Uh, essentially, what I do is I help CEOs and entrepreneurs and executives learn how to think about things in the right way. 
you know, teaching them how to think differently about their business challenges and their organizations so that they can find new solutions and their companies can thrive. And I do that by teaching them the ideas and concepts of the greatest thinkers of all time. And, you know, the whole idea behind industrial philosophy is just applying principles and virtues and values uh, in the business and working context for the benefit of the individual in an organization and the leadership as a whole. Uh, I started this because I was really passionate about philosophy and I was applying it uh, in my work as an executive. I have 20 year career experience as an executive and I was using philosophy to help me uh, manage uh, people and deal with obstacles and come up with new ideas. And so eventually I then decided, you know what, there needs to be a new category. There needs to be a new avenue for philosophy, and I believe that the working world is a wonderful avenue and vehicle for it, and that's why I created Industrial Philosophy, and that's what I do. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, you know, people ask me, I mean, I when I grew up, you know, and, and you heard me talk about it a little bit earlier, you know, I, I somewhere in the fifth grade, I decided I was going to be a dentist, and then I, I actually pursued that and became one, and then I loved everything about dentistry and left. Uh, and, you know, but part of that is people will say, what do you want to grow up to be when you grow up? And, I, you know, I, was was philosophy always in your life? I mean, was that something that uh, when somebody, you know, as, as a kid or, or, you know, even as a young adult uh, said, well, hey, what do you want to do when you grow up uh, is I want to be a philosopher? So I was absolutely the kid that kept asking why. Uh, That's a good I, start. I my parents. <laughs> I think I drove my parents crazy, seriously, because it was always like, why, why does, why is it that way? Or why are these, why are these things this way? Or, and I, I was never, I was never satisfied with the answer until I felt like I could no longer ask why. And so I was genuinely, I was just like that uh, as a kid. And, um, but it wasn't until, you know, later on in, in my adult life that I started to, get really into the way the mind works, the way people perceive the world, the way they perceive themselves. And I was asking some really big questions of myself and, and the world. And then I just started to pursue philosophy in my personal life and take courses in philosophy about uh, nine or 10 years ago and make it a more formalized study. Well, I love the fact that you talk about, um, you know, asking why, because I've, you know, one of the things that, and we haven't talked a lot, but, you know, my business really focuses on employee assessment, leadership assessment, pre-employment, you know, finding the right people. But one of the things that we've been measuring for a while, which I found critically important, especially for management, leadership, sales roles, professional roles, uh, is curiosity. And we've had Diane Hamilton on the show, uh, she has the Curiosity Index, uh, Curiosity Code Index. She, she wrote a book on it. She has an assessment, um, but I've always pursued that, and it's it's crazy. I mean, and I'm sure you see this, is that it's just crazy how many people don't ask why. They just, you know, you can see that in the news every day. I mean, they read the headlines. Uh, they take for granted, you know, the whole thing about fake news. I mean, 
people just don't ask enough questions. So when when somebody calls you, I mean, I, I'm and I'm you know curious um, because in the past. I, I don't see any executives, I don't see any business people saying, hey, I can get a business coach or I can call Christina because she's a philosopher. When people call, why do they call you? Or how do, you know, what, what's, what's that first conversation like? Why are they reaching out to you? So I feel that it's really around what they're experiencing. So they know that something doesn't isn't right, or they know that something isn't working. Whether they understand yet that philosophy is necessarily the answer, when I first start engaging with someone, it's really meeting them where they are. And they just know that something isn't working or they're facing a challenge and they know that they need to start as far upstream in addressing that as possible. So really the people that I work with are the people that aren't necessarily thinking about the execution of a solution just yet. They just know that there's a problem that needs to be defined. And I believe that people are starting to understand and be more educated around how perception, uh, mindset, attitude, asking the right questions, and some people actually are pretty savvy about philosophy to begin with. And so they just are coming with that point of view in mind. Like, I know that there's something wrong. I know the answer lies in redefining the problem or how I'm approaching it or how I'm thinking about it. And so for them, philosophy or a philosophical approach um, is in their minds the right approach. And so the conversation is usually around taking a step back and evaluating, like, what's really going on here? How, how have you actually thought about this? How have you actually approached it? And usually we discover that no thinking has been involved. <laughs> no outline of approach has been involved. Um, and there is a lot of work that can be do done in that sort of upstream uh, aspect of solving a problem. And Ira, I want to chime in here because I've known Christina now for I think a year, right? We we kind of started, we kind mm -hmm. of fell into each other's LinkedIn profile right at the time I was starting LifeWork Integration. And one of the interesting things that uh, one of the common uh, denominators that her and I found early in our relationship was that we're noticing that people who, generally speaking, have been so busy doing running the status quo, they they haven't had the time to look up and see what's going on and what what they need to understand so that they could run their business in the next couple of years. And you and I know that we talk about this, you know, in terms of HR's seeming inability to get out of their office and engage other leaders inside of the business, right? And so I, I, I've, I've noticed how business leaders, and Christina, I think this is what you're getting at, it's business leaders are looking for something more than what they've been told works, because it might not be working as well as they've been told. And so especially with all this craziness, I'm kind of curious, Christina, here's a question for you. Are you seeing certain trends in terms of what these business leaders that are, are, are you're working with, what are they looking for 
in terms of organizational development or leadership development? Are there common themes that they're they're lacking? So the CEO, uh, I want to start with the sort of North Star and kind of back into back into it from there. The CEO of Unilever recently just put out this quote uh, where he's committed to leading a purpose-driven organization. And his fundamental belief that if your company is driven by purpose, you know, it, it thrives. And to me, purpose really just equals principles. Purpose just really equals values. And so what I'm seeing in terms of a trend is very high-level, well-known CEOs are now starting to shift in understanding what it really means to run a successful company. And the old story of, you know, profit-driven approach or the old sort of economic model of how you run a company and run your people, that's all shifting. And it is really kind of moving towards that stakeholder capitalism. So the trend that I'm actually seeing is that more, more leaders are now starting to embrace the idea of people over profits, um, that principle is profitable, uh, and that actually running a purpose-driven company is, is the way to go. Now, the question then becomes, well, how do you execute on that? And I think that's where the organizational development piece comes in and the HR piece comes in, where you have to have partners that are willing to uh, not only embrace this new model, but work with it, execute on it, and then maybe sometimes even circle back and keep leadership in check and on strategy with those kinds of things. So I think what's lacking right now is a plan and a roadmap to usher this shift and new narrative around how companies should now be run. And I think there's a huge opportunity for all of us working in the space to be able to do that, including myself and yourself and, and HR and organizational development people and organizational change management people, and also the agile community to some extent as well. The agile community. There's an interesting comment, right? Where, who, who's actually capable of, of being agile in HR? And maybe, maybe you're not spending time. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm over, overreaching here, but are you spending more time with executives that are inside or outside of HR? Outside. Yeah. Outside of HR. Uh, isn't that something? Hmm. So then yeah. if, if, so then let's, I actually want to take a step back because I, I want to talk about your recent book as well. Um, and you know, I, I, you know, me, I'm, I'm in the presence right now of two book writers and still trying to figure out how I could get to that point. Um, tell us a little bit about what your book, uh, wise up at work is about and and how you see that playing a role with this the the new philosophies of that business leaders need so my intention and my mission with wise up is at work was to give people an introduction to how to have 
a better relationship with their thoughts so that they could have peace of mind and work more seamlessly. And it's written with the leader in mind, uh, thinking about all the challenges that they come across every day, everything from, you know, they've got a, they've got maybe an adversarial relationship with a colleague to, you know, they're completely overwhelmed and having a hard time, you know, finding the time to lead and to ask those big questions. And so essentially the book is just an introduction on how to be a wiser person so that you can work better. And what I do is I teach how to have more clarity. So in other words, are you really seeing what's there? Are you working with what's true? And then teaching how your thoughts work and are you spending more time and thoughts about the work and ruminating and, and you know, about the, that last meeting or are you spending time and productive thoughts? And then how are you making decisions? You know, what are you basing your decisions on? Are they out of, you know, for the good of everyone involved or are they fear-based decisions? And then finally, I get into how action really happens. So, you know, a lot of people think that philosophy, you just sit and think all the time. That's actually not true. Um, philosophy encourages us to engage with the world. And I believe that it's a protocol for engaging with the world. And so in terms of teaching people how to, you know, have the right action, how to know when to actually not act may be the best way to move forward. So it's really around these four aspects of being a wise person uh, and giving people an introduction to that. Um, and that philosophy can help you engage with your work, engage with your people, engage with your organization in a much clearer frame of mind. So look, I, I guess let me challenge a little bit, and 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 maybe it's not even a challenge. Maybe it's just trying to figure out, you know, that there are certainly CEOs that you've identified and that we know uh, that uh, truly do believe, want to have a purposeful, mindful organization. Um, they have a strong set of values, and maybe they weren't communicating improperly before, uh, or they just need to, you know, they're trying to figure out you know, what their place is moving forward. But there's still, I mean, I, I still hear and see this whole other, um, I guess, style of leadership, if, if it's even a style, that I, I can see that, you know, I'm the CEO and I call you up and, and I say, yeah, yeah, I get it. That's exactly what we need, Christina. Uh, can you come in and, and um, talk to our people? <laughs> Where do you... I mean, where do you go with that? Do you do you walk? I mean, is that just, hey, that's just not a good client for me? Or how do we help people who have the mentality of, hey, so you're going to come in and we're all going to sit around in a lotus position for an hour and <laughs> we'll be in touch with one another. And uh, yeah, you're going to give us a breathing exercise and we'll be good. We'll be good because uh, they'll now, be, now my employees will understand that um, I'm, I'm really serious about this. So, but before you answer that, we're going to take a break because I don't want to interrupt you in there because that was a lot. There, there was a big question there, but that's what we're going to come back to. So you have been listening to the Geek Skeezers and Googleization Show. Uh, we're here again with my co-host, Keith Compagna, 
And our guest today is the world's first industrial philosopher. We're talking with Christina DiGiacomo. And we will be right back after hearing from our sponsors, Zor.ai and Success Performance Solutions. So stay right where you are, and we'll be back in less than two minutes. Hi, everyone. This is Ira Wolf, author of Recruiting in the Age of Googleization. I'm excited to announce that my online course, Recruitment Marketing for the Accidental Recruiter, is open for business. This course is the culmination of a two-year-long project and releases recruiting tips I've learned after hundreds of hours of research, speaking with thousands of conference attendees, and interviews with dozens of experts. It's all available to you in Recruitment Marketing for the Accidental Recruiter. To receive more information or get started, visit our website at www.successperformancesolutions.com and click on the tab, Recruitment Marketing for the Accidental Recruiter. Imagine how your company would grow if your candidate experience earned a 99% approval rating. Well, to get to 99%, you need the three best letters in recruitment technology, XOR. Zor's text bots, chat bots, and audio bots increased IKEA's candidate conversion rate 455%. Zor decreases candidate drop-off rates improves your candidate experience, and collects analytics for future strategies. To learn more, check out Zor.ai. That's XOR.ai. Hey, welcome back, everyone, to the Geek Skeezers and Googleization Show. I'm your host, Ira Wolf. I'm with Keith Compagna, and we've got Christina DiGiacomo, uh, and I loaded up a whole lot of questions uh, right before the break. And uh, but just to give you a refresher, I was just saying that when we're talking about philosophy, we're talking about purposeful leadership and and values and uh, really basically going back to kind of walking the talk. I mean, just having an organization that's in tune with the people and, and helping meet the needs of not only the employees, but the customers and the community and society. Uh, and then I still got this vision in my head that sees the CEO picking up the phone and go, yeah, that's what we need. We need to get everybody motivated and inspired. And we got to get people back in the mood and on board and back to this new normal. Uh, or I don't know if it's back to the new normal or into the new normal. Uh, and um, again, you know, so, you know, you could come in and you got an hour to fix us. <laughs> what are you going to do? How do you, I mean, how do you, am I, am I wrong? First of all, am I wrong? And second of all, um, when you get a, maybe, you know, assuming you get calls like that, where do you go? Because I think that's the real problem. I, I think people that get it are, you know, looking for guidance. Um, but there's a lot of people that are, that this was a huge wake up call the last few months that things need to be different. So my first inclination my for, first inclination, if I were to ever get a call like that, um, I, oh, I can I can send a lot of people to you. <laughs> my, yeah, my my that's that and that's fine. Um, you know, I guess for me, I would just I would just ask them, what's the rush? Like I would ask them, I would ask them to talk to me a little bit more about their own sort of ideas and vision and belief system around this whole thing. Um, and I would also ask them or talk to them around 
you know, their place in this whole thing because it matters. And it's not something that it can be easily just outsourced and you check the box and that's it. Uh, and then I would just really kind of ask them if, if you want to go about it in this way, you know, have you been doing it this way for a long time? Have you been approaching change in this way for a long time? If so, how's that been working for you? And so, honestly, when, when I get into engagement, um, my, if you, for lack of a better term, my filter is can they answer some deep questions about where they are and what they think is actually going on? And that's how I would address that kind of phone call. Um, and those that are actually willing to take a step back and say, hey, you know what, actually, let me really think about this for a second. Um, with the idea and the notion of like, look, if you don't take a minute and take a beat to really think about this and your role in it and how this is going to play out, it's not going to play out the way you want. And if I know CEOs, they really, really like to know how things are going to play out. And I can almost guarantee if they're laissez-faire about it or hands-off about it, it's not going to play out the way they want. It's not going to be a sustainable solution, and it's not going to be fully integrated, or the outcomes that they're expecting aren't going to be the outcomes that they get. So, you know, I think that just speaks to the whole lipstick on a pig thing that companies have been getting by with maybe in the past. Um, and, you know, it's it's curious for, for a guy like me, right, Ira, because you and I, I, I distinctively remember being at one of your, um, as I was building my groupie status with you, I was <laughs> at one of your half-day <laughs> sessions, and uh, we, we joked, because there were like 60 HR professionals, practitioners in the room, and the joke when everyone left was, how many do you think are actually going to put some sort of actionable step into recruiting more efficiently? And between me, you, and, and the woman that will remain nameless, the answer was maybe one, right? And then I started doing life work integration, and now I'm standing in front of a room of 40, 50 CFOs. Maybe another event, I'm speaking in front of 100 you know, business owners, small business leaders. And I often wonder if five out of 100 people are going to be motivated to actually doing the work that needs to be done so that they can have employees that are, um, you know, more integrated with the way that they view their workload and their life load, uh, more agile, more, more empathetic, all of the things that I know Christina evangelizes and helps people build out within themselves and their organizations. But it really does sound like it's much harder. It was much harder to get people to actually do the work. And I, I, you know, I guess I'm, I'm right there with you, Ira. I wonder if any of that's going to change. So, and you know, I mean, we, we, we're both a bit skeptical because we've been there and, and maybe it's, you know, because we're working with the, within HR, um, and unfortunately, I mean, there's a lot of really, really good people, but there's a lot of conversation, but they don't always have the decision to, to the, the power to make those decisions. But going back to Christina, um, I know 
I mean, so we're at this point, this is literally an existential moment for many companies, not only for retail and hospitality, you know, but also for manufacturing distribution. I mean, almost any company um, that they have to look at the future of work differently than they did. And you you in one of the emails that you sent out, I don't know if, if I'm going to word this properly or, or exactly, but it sort of said now is the time that we have to that that people have to figure out what the future of work means. What, what did you mean by that? So thank you, Ira. I was dying for you to ask this question because when you when you first broached the subject with me, I had some pretty strong feelings about this. Uh, so, you know, I, look, just to preface, I'm, I'm not a future of work conference organizer. You know, I'm not, Ira, you are way more in, embedded in this whole topic than, than I am. So, but I can only speak from some, as someone who has been exposed to the narrative around future of work for like 10 years now. So like 10 years ago, even five years ago, the narrative that I was exposed to and marketed uh, to was, you know, the future of work is mostly through a technological lens. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, digitizing or, you know, digital transformation, organizational digital transformation, artificial intelligence, automation, and, and so on. All worthy all worthy things. All love, love the, the, the future casters. Love it. However, there was something really important going on that everyone was missing. And the future of work was not addressing the necessary fundamental changes to actually make a working system that worked for everyone. And so when everything happened in, in, with COVID and, um, you know, the, the whole George Floyd and Black Lives Matter movement and diversity and inclusion conversation, all of this has now really exposed these cracks in the system and this breakdown of work, and everyone has ex been exposed to it. And I feel that the People who were talking 10 years ago, five years ago about the future of work were not talking about gender parity, income parity, racial parity, um, you know, making equitable systems, uh, cultures that, that work. And maybe they were to some extent, but that was certainly not what I was exposed to. And so from a philosophical perspective, the future of work needs to, now, needs to be redefined now. Because I think that it's about fixing the things that need fixing right now. And to a larger extent, the future of, narrative, future of work narrative should have been that all along. Or else we, and we wouldn't, maybe wouldn't have been in such dire straits. Philosophically, the future, all the future is, is it's an expression of what we do now, right? It's, a, it's the outcome of all the things that we are doing now. And that's what the future is. So if we want a better future, we need a better now. And, you know, to what end does it serve to talk about the future of work without talking about making stakeholder capital a reality, making the current system work better, increasing employee engagement, just making things better for everyone. And so that's what I think the future of work conversation should be about. And, um, and I love the AI folks and, and the tech folks and all of that. 
we can't get to that future that they're talking about until we deal with the really critical issues that we're experiencing right now. Well, we could get there. It just happens to be this, the, the dystopian view of the future. You know, and, and that's where a lot of those conversations came out, uh, where, you know, having AI and machines and robotics and, you know, whatever it was, was saying, hey, we this could be our future. This th These are the tools that we use in the future without any consideration to all the consequences of the collateral damage short of people being out of jobs. And then, you know, there was there's the whole singularity uh, approach that says, well, if you have all this automation, then we can have this world of abundance that we don't have to worry about the production of food and clean water and clean air because technology will take care of that. And then as human beings, we'll have 100% of our time that we can just enjoy life. We don't really have to work as hard because half the time we're working, we're working to pay taxes and fixing stuff. So if we only have to work a half or a third of the time, then that's sort of that ideal, ideal world. But or idyllic. I don't know if it's an ideal world, but it was sort of their idyllic world. But the problem is, is getting there. And and the approach was, is that nobody was really considering the human side of that. And I think that that was starting to change a little bit. You know, I had a talk uh, last year um, at the uh, Sherm group and my the title of my presentation was keeping the H in HR, keeping the human in HR. And everybody thought about it, oh, you think technology's bad. And it was like, no, you use technology to make your life better. But the reality is is you make it you needed to make your life better. Uh, and not outsource it to technology. So, you know, I came up with, the, you know, I don't know if anybody else did, but I started to talk about the humanization of work, you know, and, and there's a lot. And, you know, Keith, you, Keith, you influenced me a little bit of that of the importance. And, and we had a lot of talk. So I, the good news is, I guess, the future of work, um, you know, you, what your approach um, to it uh, is, I expect Christine is going to be in huge demand as companies really struggle with this and taking aside the people that think you can come in and fix it, that it's a strategy or can you sell me some posters that have the right sayings on the wall and we'll post put them up. Uh, the people that are really serious about moving forward, um, kind of, you know, pretty interesting. So what are some of the other components of this? So, you know, there, there's a lot of talk going on, you know, it used to be, you know, just months ago, we were talking about employee engagement. Now it's about the employee experience. What are some of the other components to this? What are some of the kind of the strategies? You know, once people do have a focus and and they're in line, they're aligned, they're truly in line with where they need to move. What are some of the steps that companies are are taking, or how and how do you help them? Steps companies are taking in terms of employee experience. Well, yeah, I mean, that, you know, it, it's a buzzword at the moment. Well, yeah, I mean, it's a buzzword. It's, I, I'm going to get a little feisty. Um, but the whole idea of employee experience and, and employee engagement, absolutely worthy intention. Mm -hmm. uh, however, the employees did not have really, truly a say in what that was. So... You know, you're you're thinking about employee experience or, or employee engagement programs with maybe at best, uh, you know, some sort of quantitative yearly survey. 
And (laughs) I believe that the success of a leader or an organization from an employee experience perspective has to be based on a true conversation with the employees where they are actively involved in creating their own experience. Like, how could you have employee, employee experience programs without the employees actually weighing in? And what we're seeing right now is um, employee, with employee activism specifically, uh, where employees are walking out, where they're being very vocal about flexible work, like we don't care about the foosball table in the other room. We want to be able to spend more time with our families. And organizations, some are, the, are doing a good job, but some are being really clumsy uh, and, about it because they're just coming at it from like this is the department thinks that this is the HR department and our leadership thinks, okay, these are the things that we think will work. And they're just not including the actual employees in in helping to develop the programs that work best for them. Uh, And I also feel that in terms of receiving people back into the workforce from a a post-pandemic perspective, any leader or organization that does not acknowledge the, the mentality uh, or the psyche or the needs of people returning uh, is going to have a very serious problem. And they're going to expect, just expect 0% retention. People are not going to walk, work for, want to work for an organization that doesn't do the return, what I call the great return, uh, properly. Um, and so you're going to start seeing employees actually be more engaged um, in their own employee experience versus the other way around. And, and there's no you, you don't need to apologize for being feisty uh, because you're absolutely <laughs> you're absolutely right. I mean, it, it's that I've seen this transition and this was starting to happen before, um, you know, be, before the pandemic. And, you know, that all of a sudden was, oh, no, no, it's not employee engagement. We, we have these, you know, employee engagement's bad, but it's more important to talk about employee experience. It was like, okay, let's replace the poster on the wall, you know, with this. And the, the, the pandemic, I think there's a, sil- you know, not that there's many silver linings in this pandemic, but one of them might be that it was really the wake up call where, where companies, and, and it's not just management, but we're all companies, all organizations, because that goes, that goes to nonprofits as well, need to really start thinking about their, their volunteers and the people and the community um, of what, you know, what's the experience, right? It's, it's not, it's not a one view lens, you know, and um, so I, I'm I'm with you on that. Can, can I just can I just be humorous yeah. for a second? Because yeah. it's so typical. It's so typical of the 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 sort of I don't even know what to call it, like the community or the way things are. To let's just change the way we call something what we call something and then create this, let's create another jargony word that further distances from the original idea of what this thing is all about and then create shiny things around this new jargony word and call it a day. And that's exactly my beef with, you know, we were just starting to gain momentum around employee engagement, the whole idea of engagement. Yes. Love it. 
But now it's employee experience. So now everybody has to transition over to whatever new paradigm this employee experience is, just when we were starting to gain momentum. And it's so I've seen so many iterations of the same thing. And each iteration becomes further and further and further removed and less and less actionable than the original idea. So... Yes. So, so that, no, no, so, no. But as you're talking there, I'm laughing. This, this is where video would come in. You know, I'm just smiling because <laughs> I, I, I can see where they used to do employee surveys and then they became, no, they're employee engagement surveys. And we do them once a year and then go, no, you need to do them more often. And then they became, you know, quarterly. And, and then all of a sudden it's like, you know, we did that for like three years and nothing changed. So let's try employee experience now. <laughs> And it's like, okay, how are you going to measure it? How are you going to implement it? And what difference does it make if you don't change the way you lead and you don't change the way you treat people? And so I'm, I'm with you. And you and I can go on forever. We knew that from our email the other day, Christina. Uh, unfortunately, I told we told you this would go really, really fast, and it did. Um, we've just got a few minutes late. So how can people get a hold of you? Um, you know, what's the best way? And um, we'll go from there. So the, be the best way to learn more about what I do and to reach out to me is go to my website, moralchemy.com. It's M-O-R-A-L-C-H-E-M-Y.com. You can also find me on LinkedIn. Feel free to re reach out. I love connecting with people. Um, and also I have a book in Amazon called Wise Up at Work. So you can go ahead and check it out. And if you go to my website, you can sign up to get a free excerpt of the book. So you can you can uh, you know learn more about industrial philosophy and applying philosophy <laughs> for the workplace. Outstanding. And and you and I are definitely going to have a conversation after this. There's too many uh, too many paths we're we're on together. Uh, final words. What what's your final piece of advice for our listeners? So my. My piece of advice or just my feeling is we have an opportunity to really do things the right way, to think about how we do things, question what wasn't working, being honest about what wasn't working, and having the opportunity to approach things and change in, in a different way that works for everyone. And I really believe that. Um, and so that's that's what I'd like to leave people with. And, and I think those three words uh, works for everyone. I, I, I think, you know, we just that needs to be the approach moving forward. Uh, hey, we had a we had a ball and uh, great conversation. Sorry, initially about a uh, little rough entry there for for some sound reasons, technology reasons. But uh, we're here. Great conversation. And I uh, really appreciate it. Uh, continued success, Christina. Thank you, Ira. Thank you, Keith. It was my pleasure. Thank you so much for your time. Talk soon. So, Ira, so Keith, some, yeah, something's got to give out there, right? It, it, no, it's given. It's given. I think yeah, we're going right? to see. We're going to see. A sh we're we're going to see the shift. It, it hit a lot of plans. So we're, yep. we're you know, I, I I said earlier, I think it's an existential moment for a lot of companies, and um, you know, you see companies bailing on it now. They're just not. Some financially don't have it. Some, they just don't have the wherewithal, the, the, the passion to, to make this change. 
Yep. So and I'll say, I'll, I'll, yeah, I guess I'll save it for another time. I'll save it for another time. <laughs> yeah, we're we're just we're 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 coming up at the end here. Uh, so you've been listening to the Geek Skeezers and Googleization Show. Uh, we had a great guest today, Christina DiGiacomo. Uh, we're talking about uh, the future work was broken. Uh, a couple other things uh, tomorrow. I had a whole bunch of announcements, but uh, I'll hold that for um, another time as well. Uh, but tomorrow, I'm actually uh, co-sponsoring with JobSync a webinar. Uh, it's called Leveraging Facebook in a COVID World for Recruitment. Uh, even if it's not, even if you want to learn how to use Facebook for your business, uh, it's at 11 o'clock a.m. Eastern Time. It's free. And to get that and the other webinars that I'm doing, you can go to bit.ly, it's B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash S-B-S webinars 0620. That was the shortest one I can get. So it's bit.ly forward slash S-B-S webinars 0620. Um, Keith, final word. Read the book. Get out there. Um, you, you know, there's, it's not that hard to make change, especially now because everything is a little bit disheveled. So take the opportunity now to get a little bit outside your comfort zone, no matter your rank and file in your organization, and just move towards the thing that feels better. Yeah. And we'll read, talk read more two about books. it next week. Yeah, read two books. Read Wise two. Up at Work and Recruiting in the Age of Googleization. <laughs> <laughs> so, hey, thanks again to Zor.ai and Success Performance Solutions. Uh, don't forget, we're on the air every week, Wednesday, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on W4CY.com, or you can listen on any of your favorite podcasts, Spotify, Apple, Google, iHeart, uh, you name it, we're there. So until next week, the next episode of Geek Skeezers and Googleization, this is Ira Wolf and Keith Compagna. Don't let the shift hit your plans. Oh, 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 oh,